All right, you guys ready to jump into our, uh, our series? Last week, I started talking about Ephesians and didn't get to Ephesians. You ever do that when you're preaching a series? <laughs> so part of what we did is we talked last week about this, this grammar lesson. I gave everybody a grammar lesson. Some of you nerds were like, yeah, I'm so excited about the grammar lesson. The rest of us just kind of muddled through it. But we talked about this, this uh, concept of indicative and imperative. And so the indicative in the, in the Greek language is, uh, we put kind of a list up here. The indicative is a statement of fact. That's like the book is on the table. That's kind of what that looks like. It states what is. And so the reason why we brought this up about Ephesians is, if you notice, there's kind of a light, uh, kind of a dark and a light. And Ephesians broken down um, chapter 1 through 3 and chapters 4 through 6 is, a, is almost a perfect break in the middle. And Paul, I think, did this on purpose when he wrote this book. He said, I want to talk about what is first, right? Had he started with, with chapter 4 of Ephesians, we would have been in trouble. We'd have been like, I ain't reading this letter, it's too hard. But, so he started in a ch- uh, chapter uh, 1 of Ephesians building into the identity. He was telling us what is true about who God is, about who you are, about who we are as the church. And he's doing that for a reason. He's saying, if this is true, then this, this next part that I'm going to say to you, not only can you do it, you will do it, and you'll do it powerfully. There's no, there's no reason for excuses. There's no way you can say, hey, I, I don't have that in me. I can't do it. Because he, he labors for three solid chapters telling us who we are in Christ, reminding us of our identity, and he's going after that. So the imperative, you know, we see this in scriptures, because Jesus has forgiven you. This is the new covenant version of forgiveness. Um, Because Jesus has forgiven you, forgive others, right? So the indicative is, this is true. Jesus has forgiven you. If you focus on that and you understand that, you can forgive other people. You can, right? Not only can you, you should and it's not telling you something you can't do. It's telling you something you can do because of some other fact. So that's really important. We talked about that. Uh, we mentioned how in Matthew, um, Jesus is speaking to, to people under the law, and he actually puts the imperative without an indicative. He says, um, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you, right? That's the law. The law was a, was a list of imperatives, commands. You must do these things. And the whole idea was, outside of Christ, it is impossible for you to do those things. So God was trying to show us, when you, when you try to meet the standard with a broken heart, with a broken identity, without being who you're supposed to be, you can never get there. No matter how, how good you think you are, you can never get to that place, right? You're always going to fall short. And so in the old sacrificial system, he put in, um, he put in sacrifices on purpose, Right, that innocent blood had to be spilled to, to, to fix the fact that you couldn't do what you ought to do, right? And so that was a picture of something that was coming, that Jesus eventually would be the perfect spotless lamb, the one who served, he, 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 he actually did all the imperatives. Like he, he, he gave everything of himself. He, he never missed one single law. He didn't break one single law. And then because of that, in the new covenant now, because of what he did, he can do something for you. And so now, because Jesus paid the price for you. So in other words, he, he, served, he, he, he obeyed every single law. And he, he did it so that he, could, he had righteousness that then he gives you as a gift. And in the same process, he takes something from you. So you had sinfulness, a broken heart. You had a busted identity. And you couldn't be who God designed you to be. And he took that brokenness on himself on the cross. And in its place, he gave you the gift of righteousness. The moment he did that, what happened is now we don't live the old way. We don't live an old covenant lifestyle. I hear people all the time say this, you know, we need to get back to the Ten Commandments. No, you don't. 
You don't. You don't need to get back to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments weren't first. Abraham's covenant was first. And even before Abraham's covenant, the the covenant in Genesis was first. And even before that, before time began, the Bible said there was a lamb slain before the foundation of time. God had an intention that that it wasn't for you to try to obey the law without the power to do so and then feel completely powerless in your life, which is what we all have experienced, right? What was it supposed to look like? That there was a lamb slain before the foundation of time. That this, when this thing came up, there was, there was a, an antidote for the poison already available, right? And so now, because of Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross, when the new covenant began, and it didn't begin in the, in the Gospels, that's why I mentioned chapter 5 and 6 of Matthew, so often we read, read that and we see the imperatives, but there are no indicatives, right? So the imperatives are, um, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, sorry, can't get in. If, um, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your, if your hand offends you, cut it off, Right? And so it goes after these hard things. Why? Because Jesus is speaking to people who are under the law. He's talking. He starts out with the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And very quickly, someone asks him a question about the law, and he changes subjects, and he addresses the law and the people under the law. And if you don't know that, you will read the red, which is Jesus speaking in most Bibles, right? And you think you're supposed to do it that way. The only problem was Jesus wasn't talking to you. He was talking to people under the law. And the good news is you're no longer under the law, right? Jesus fulfilled the law. The law didn't go away. The law didn't lose any of its power. It's not that the law is bad. The law is not bad. The law law is perfect. That's what the Bible says. It's just that you couldn't do it. So the sense then was the law was this pending judgment hanging over you. And that's true, right? But then because of what Jesus did, Jesus took the judgment. And because of that, there's no more judgment left for you as a believer. None. So when you feel like you're condemned, if you are in Christ, your feelings are lying to you. And if you don't know that, you will push yourself and remove yourself from the covenant of grace and continue to live under a covenant of law that you were never, ever called to. That makes sense. It's helpful to understand that because once you get into the new new covenant, then everything changes. And this is what Ephesians is doing. Ephesians is going after this in a big way because he's saying, okay, now I want you to know this is how you're supposed to live. So just follow with me. Um, Paul had, had been all over planting churches. He would go in and he would not bring up the law to, to, people, to people who were Greek, um, who had the Greek culture, but not the Jewish culture. If he was talking to Jewish people, he would pursue the law and remind them of what Jesus had done to fulfill the law. But he wouldn't do that with, with Greek-speaking and, and, and Gentiles, people who weren't, who weren't Jews. He would come in, let me give you an example. In 1 Corinthians, he's talking to a group of people in a city that was one of the worst cities in terms of debauchery and evil things than any other city in the entire region, entire, entire area, entire time, quite frankly. It, it would make Las Vegas look mild. That's an example, okay? And he writes to them, and they're doing things. Someone had written a letter and said, hey, there's some people doing things that you need to address, right, as the church. And so in his authority, he writes back, and he says, some of you guys are sleeping with, one guy was sleeping with his, his stepmother, his you know, his mother may have been his actual mother. Nobody's quite sure. Either way, it's pretty wrong. <laughs> we can all agree on that, right? He doesn't one time bring up the law about it. This is what he said. He said, don't you know you're the temple? Like, what in the whole world, Paul? Nuke them, right? That's what a good preacher would do is nuke that, that whole church. Just, 
I don't know, you know, he writes to them and said, you know, you're my, you're my children in the faith. He, he goes after me, loves on them real big. I'd be like, um, Apollo started that church, and I'm going to have to deal with it. Even if I had started the church, I wouldn't agree to it. I wouldn't admit it, right? That's not what he does. He goes after it, and he brings grace to bear, and he says he wants to remind them of who they are. Because if he can remind them of who they are, then the sinfulness that they've been participating in begins to fall away, right? Why? Because, because as a believer, you don't want to sin. And some of you guys will go, well, yeah, but I do. I know. How do you feel after? Right? I can tell you how I feel. I feel horrible. It doesn't matter how bad the sin is or even how mild it is. I, just anything that's not of God, the Bible says if it's not of faith, right, it, it can't please God. So anything that's missing the mark, anything that smacks of sin, anytime that happens in my life, if I do something I shouldn't have done, if I, if I should have done something I didn't do, Something inside me feels off. Why? Because I'm violating this new nature inside of me, right? And so Paul's writing to the Ephesians, and he says, hey, I want to remind you guys, you're the church now, right? So we're not dealing with Jewish issues, like he's covered those in other letters about the law and all those things. Now he's just writing straight to the church, and he's going to say some things to them for the first three chapters about who they are in Jesus. And, And Karen mentioned this in prayer. It would do you well to read the book of Ephesians multiple times in multiple translations. Because I promise you, when you do, I've been reading this thing for 30 years. And every single time I read it, I get something new out of it. Every single time. A reminder. Something comes up and God's like, have you thought about this? I'm like, I haven't like, you should probably do that. I'm like, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and then I grow because of it. So he's writing. So he, he jumps off right off, off the, off the uh, starting gate in Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. So I'm going to get to about three verses today. That doesn't mean we're going to be in Ephesians for the next uh, six or seven years. So it's going to be a really long series. No, I'm just kidding. We're going we're gonna to jump around a bit. But I want to jump into to the beginning, the very beginning. He starts out and he says this. This letter is from Paul, right? So he's saying, this is writing a letter. And then he says this, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. What he's saying is this, he said, I want to tell you who I am, right? Most of you guys know me, but I want to tell you who I am. Because some of them didn't know him accurately. He said this in a couple of places, he said, some people see him in his apostle, some people did not. And, and how they saw him determined what he could give them as an inheritance, right? How you see, if you see someone inaccurately, um, and they have an inheritance to give, you, you don't get it. Now, that's true of Paul, but how much more so is that true of Jesus? Right? If you don't see him accurately, if you see him as an angry God, if you see God as an angry God, what are the chances of you getting an inheritance from an angry God? Right? How, how often do you want to approach a, a father that you see as angry? Probably not very often. So we don't. He jumps right out of the gate and he says, I'm chosen by the will of God to be an apostle. He didn't say, I'm apostling. Right? So from the, from the gate, he says, I want to talk to you about identity. And I'm going to start with mine. This is who I am, not just what I do. Now, this is helpful. Because that, that, little, that little kind of uh, uh, subtle thing will get a hold of you. Because if you flip that around and, and try to live under the law, what you'll do is when you sin, the enemy will come. Because this is what the Bible says he does. He's the accuser of the brethren, right? Or brothers or sisters. So he comes, you mess up. So first thing he does, he's enticing you to sin. Then you sin, right? And then the moment you sin, he talks about how bad you are as a Christian because you sinned. Maybe you're not even a Christian, right? So, he, so the accuser of the brother comes, he, he entices you into sin, and then he beats you up after you sin. And you, if you're not careful, you'll join right with him because what you'll do is you'll take what you did and make it your identity, Right? 
Because there's truth in that. Because you see this with, you see this with Paul. Paul's saying, I am an apostle. This is who I am. It's not just what I do. I know God has called me to be this, not just to do this. And every single one of you guys are the same way. There's, there's gifting, there's calling on your life, there's passion. We, we talk about this all the time. That there, there's a sense of, 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 uh, of giftedness, talent, abilities. You can call them all these different things, but this is how God made you. Um, I think Beth and I were talking, and Beth was like, I come to her and I say, Beth, could you make a form for me? Because she has an administrative gift, right? I said, can you make a form for me? And she's like, but I didn't get you anything. And I'm like, what kind of weirdo says something like that when you ask him to make a form, right? She's such a nerd. But, but, <laughs> but my point is, God made her that way. And that's something that comes alive in her when she makes a form. I can't wrap my head around that. Right? That ain't normal. Let's just be honest. That ain't, well, here's the thing. For some of you, that's very normal. You're like, I totally get that, right? Because I am also a nerd, right? Here's my point. However God made you, there's not one good and one bad. Because someone is a public speaker, because someone is in ministry, somehow they have more, you know, they have more passion for Jesus than you do. Somehow they have more, you know, God cares about them more or has given them more impact. None of those things are true. Some of the greatest impact that people have had in the world weren't necessarily, quote-unquote, in a ministry that you would recognize as a ministry. Some of, um, uh, some of the greatest preachers ever, when you talk to their mothers who raised them up in the kingdom, those mothers said, God called me to love and raise my sons in the kingdom. Not anything else. God never called her to preach. But her two sons, I'm speaking of a couple of specifics, there's two sets of brothers actually that did this. Um, because of that, they grew up, one of them became a powerful preacher and the other became a hymn writer, right? And that happened two times in the 1700s. It's an amazing concept. But the point is, her identity was who God called her to be. And if she'd not done what she'd done, we wouldn't know of some of these guys that had, had, had preached the, the gospel and reached thousands and thousands of people. Some of them millions of people for the Lord. How many of you guys know the Sunday school teacher who led Billy Graham to the Lord? I can't remember his name. I bet Jesus knows his name. I bet Billy Graham knows his name. Right? So that's to his account. My point is, God has made us. And our identity, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll lean into our, our identity and brokenness. We'll say, because I sinned, I am a sinner. Right? But that's not true according to Scripture. God's called you and your giftedness and all those things, and that's what God wants to pour into. That's what God wants to release. That's what God wants you to release into the world. But this moment where you sin, can I sin as a Christian? Of course you can sin as a Christian. Should you sin as a Christian? No. We're going to get to that when we get to Ephesians chapter 4. But if you don't understand your identity, this is what happens. You don't think you're a son in the house, and so when you mess up, the, in your head, the Father comes and says, because you have done this, this is who you are, and therefore you can't be a part of me. See how it works? So if we don't get this right, then what happens is we build our identity in brokenness, and we'll say things like, well, that's just the way I am. Some will say, I, I don't understand. Why don't you change? That's just the way I am. No, it is not the way you are. God never intended that, right? So it goes on. He, he goes on in, in the first verse, and he says, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. The word for God's holy people is the word saint, right? And, and that word is a very specific word. Um, in the Bible, you see there are saints, there are sinners. Which one are you? Right? 
So here's the thing. Can you be a saint in sin? Yes. Does that make you a sinner? Nope. Flip that on, its other, on, on the other end. Can you be a sinner and do a good thing? Yes. Does that make you a saint? See, some of us were brought up and we were told that's actually what does it. Doing good things is actually what makes you who you are. But that's not at all true of Scripture, is it? The Bible says you, you, were, you were bought with a price. You're not your own. It wasn't you that did it. It was someone who came and did it for you. It was someone greater than you. Someone who'd paid the price. This is Jesus coming and saying, I've paid the price. I've, 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 I've got righteousness now because I obeyed every single law that was, that was available. I never balked one single time, and it's mine. And he could have kept it himself, and he didn't. He said, I'm going to give it to you as a gift. So how do you get it? You believe in the one that God sent. You believe that he did it and that you believe it's yours. You can believe all day long, but if it's not true, it's not going to help you. So you got to determine, is this thing true? And that's why people, when people say, you know, do you pray the prayer for, for a Christian? Well, how do you pray people into the kingdom? You can't. That's why Jesus said, come follow me. Not pray a prayer. You can pray a hundred prayers and not be a Christian, right? Just because you go to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger, right? You understand this, right? But identity is important. Because once God defines you, you can't define yourself. Only someone bigger, someone greater can define you. And God comes and says, I'm defining you. I'm saying, you are mine, right? I want you, not I have to take you. I'm adopting you, right? I'm, I'm bringing you back into my family. I want you. And we forget that because we do a bad thing. And we think we, because we did a bad thing, that all of a sudden God throws the baby out with the bathwater, Right? As a believer, I mean, how often do you do that? I mean, anybody ever had a baby throw up on them? I've had that even, it wasn't my baby and it threw up on me. It was twice as bad. I'm like, here, take this baby back. It's broken, right? Fix this baby and when it stops puking, hand it back to me. That's how I want to hold babies, right? You can't do that. We had a friend, she said, she said it was the weirdest thing in the world when this happened. She said her little boy comes running to her and she said in every, her maternal instinct, he's, he's sick and he's going to vomit and he's, and he's running right at her while he's doing it. And I'm like, so where did you run? She said, I didn't. I picked him up. I'm like, why would you do that? I don't understand. I said, what happened? He puked all down the back of my dress. I was like, did you give him away? Did you, had you kept the receipt and take him back to Walmart? I mean, how, right? She said, no, I just cleaned myself up, cleaned him up. And, uh, you know, he, he quit doing that at some point. <laughs> right? Why would we think God is any different? Right? If we being evil, this is what scripture says, if we being evil know how to give good things to our kids. He's using this exact illustration. How much more right, does your father want to give you good things and give you his spirit? That's what he says. So we've got to get this into our head. Saints, when God makes you a saint, you start out as a baby saint. right? And baby saints puke. I mean, stuff comes out of everywhere. right? It's just bad no matter how you look at it. And, and adult saints, you know what they do? They help change the diaper and they wipe up the puke. And so there's a lot of cleanup. So if you've ever been to a church where there's no puke, you, you're not in a church. I don't know where you are, but they're all lying to you because if you're not in a church where people are broken, then you're not in the church, right? But listen, if everybody's broken, you're also probably not in the church. Well, you're in the church, but you're in the baby church, <laughs> right? And it's time for us, again, God's call to us is to grow up and become mature saints. That's what we're going to get to here shortly. But the challenge is, I want you to grow up. Why? I'm, I'm not throwing you away because you're broken. 
Of course you're broken. That's the reason you need a, a church body. It's the reason why you need people. We were talking about men earlier and, and, and celebrating what God's doing in our men as a church. Well, what's happening? There are people who are a, a little farther along in certain areas. Not every way, every way, but maybe in some area they're farther along in their marriage or in their parenting or just in their understanding of who God says they are. And they can help walk us through. If we're broken in those areas, they can help walk us through and bring us to wholeness. Why? Because God has an inheritance. This is what Ephesians gets after. There's an inheritance he has for you. But he can't give it to someone. I mean, again, he wants to. But imagine a baby that has no capacity to do anything on its own and giving it a billion dollars. What changes for the baby? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing changes for the baby. What if you're 21 years old and... All of a sudden, you know, you have dreams and aspirations and you're working towards something, you're doing everything you know to do and you're poor as a church mice and then someone says, hey, by the way, your dad left you a billion dollars and you're like, what in the whole world? Well, I'm, you know, I might, maybe when I first get it, I use it on myself, like I'm going to buy me a really fast car because what you should do, right? And a bigger TV because you can never have a big enough TV, but at some point, I think, you know what, <laughs> I have enough money, I am never going to hurt or want for anything. Wonder what I should do with all the excess. That works. And that's God's intention. God's intention is the inheritance in the beginning is to just bring you up and, and meet every need you have. In grace, in the kindness of the Lord, and, and the love and the and the you know and the connection and the safety. That's God's design. But at some point, He wants you to 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 receive all of this and recognize that there's more than you'll ever use for yourself. That at some point, what He's given you is designed for something more. And that's what Ephesians begins to go after, is the something more. So again, we're saints. This is who God called us to be. He's given us a brand new heart. This is what Scripture says. Um, Ephesians 4, we get there eventually. He says, you put on the, the new man. He says, you do this. Put on the new man. Not God will do it for you. This is what we always say. God, will you help me? God's like, of course. Like, God, will you do it for me? Yeah, in the beginning. But at some point, he's trying to grow your faith up and grow you up and and mature you so you can walk in the fullness of your inheritance. Ephesians 4, he says, you put on the new man which which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. It's created. The new man is created in righteousness. It's that's how it starts, right? Another verse, this is Colossians 3:10. And having put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him. That created him. So in other words, it's in Jesus, again, this is where it comes from. And then lastly, this is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man's in Christ, he is what? A new creation. What does it say? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So what happens when you become a believer? When you do put your faith and your trust in Christ, what happens? You stop being one thing and you start being a new one. Same physical body, but you are a new man in the spirit. The Bible says you were dead and now you are alive. Not you were bad and now you're good. It's not how God defines it. You were dead and now you're alive. Something came alive in you. Your spirit came alive in you. John chapter 3, Nicodemus is having a conversation with Jesus and he can't get it through his head that he has to be born again. He goes, I don't understand. Can I, you know, I'm old. Can I, can I be in my mother's womb again? And Jesus is like, let me help you. <laughs> You're so old and wise, and you know, you're supposed to be old and wise in Israel, and you don't know this thing. He says, he, he makes a conversation about the wind. He says, the wind comes, it blows where it wants, it moves things, it does things, but you can't see it. Does it stop being the wind? 
Of course not. We all understand the wind. He goes, the spiritual man, that, that new creation that, that is going to come to you, it's like that. You can't see it with your eyes. It's not a natural thing. It's a supernatural, above nature. It's a spiritual thing. And that's what we're going to get to as we go into this. Ephesians 1-2. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me just say this about that. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't being too careful when he wrote this. May he give you, may your Father give you grace and peace. If you want peace, you can't have it outside of grace. You can't. It's impossible. We're going to get into that in just a second. So what does grace mean? It's the unmerited favor of God. You did not earn it, but it's yours. It's yours because you're a son, because you're a daughter. Right? And it begins before you need it. Isn't that awesome? Right? So grace comes, and he says, if you get grace, and you really understand grace, then you can have peace. If you don't understand grace, you are never, ever, ever going to have peace. I meet people all the time who are Christians, who are in the church, who are baby Christians. It's not that they're not a believer. I believe that they are. I believe they had an encounter with the Lord. They have a new heart. Everything I've been talking about. But they have no peace in their life. They're broken. Their relationships are crumbling around them. Everything about their life is a war zone. But God's version of peace is not the absence of conflict. That's the world's version of peace. Right? When nothing's happening. Did you notice, um, how many of you guys have heard of this new virus that's flo- floating around? Anybody heard about that? It's, it's been subtle in the news, so it's pretty easy to miss. Um, <laughs> how many of you guys thought about going down to Walmart and buying all of their, you know, supplies? And Anybody? anybody done? Don't raise your hand. I'm just <laughs> I've thought about it, right? It's like, let's go get some bread and milk, because that's what you do in Alabama when things, bad things happen, buy bread and milk. I don't know why it's just bread and milk. That's what we do. That's what happens when it snows, right? Bread and milk's gone. <laughs> So, so why? There's nothing wrong with preparing. That's a good thing. But if you notice, people are freaking out, right? It's not like these viruses haven't been around for thousands of years, right? Ebola pops up. I mean, you know, everybody, and, the, and of course the world makes money off of fear, so, you know, they push it, obviously. What about recently when, um, when our government... Um, you know, killed this terrorist, who, this Iranian terrorist who led the, you know, the army with terrorism. They were, he was counted as a terrorist. And, and he comes to Iraq and boom, he's gone. And, and the whole, there's this massive, uh, World War III is happening. It was all over the news until it didn't happen. Because, you know, thankfully we had someone who said, you know what, they need to remember we got a big stick. So I'm going to whack them because we haven't whacked them in a while, right? Whack. And they're like, <laughs> right, they all to use a southern term, they bowed up and then bowed right back down. Why? I mean, that's, that's not, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm a patriot. I'm an American. I'm all, I love America. Not to the point that I, I pretend we're okay in every arena. A part of me being American is I want to fix some of the things that's wrong with us. I think this is how we do it, right? Because Jesus was not American. We make him an American, but he wasn't. He also make him a Republican. That's another story. But Jesus transcends all of this. You guys understand this, right? No matter what nation you belong to, if we follow these things, God's going to bring peace to us, whether it's the absence of conflict or not. But here's the thing that happens. If you noticed in all this, in this cultural uproar, is that everything explodes, and the terror comes, and everything's going to fall apart, and then it does it, and then it subsides, and we have peace again. I remember uh, the 2000, remember the... the the bug that was coming, right? Everything was going to fall apart. I remember people going, I'm just, you know, they started stacking stuff up in, in their basement and garage, and, and they came to me and said, what are, you, what are you doing? I'm like, well, you know, I'm not stupid. I'm, I've got some preparation in, in, in mind, but 
at the end of the day, what, what are you going to do if you, know, if you have all this, all this rice and your neighbor comes knocking on your door? Do you not give them any? Right? You should have gotten your own rice. <laughs> Which works really well until you run out of rice and somebody had more. And then you're knocking on their door and going, I, I did get some rice, but I didn't get enough help. Right? And then all of a sudden, everything we know about God and Jesus transcends that. And so the thing came, nothing came of it, and it fell away again. What's, what's my point? My point is, is that we watch this fluctuation, peace, not peace, peace, not peace, based on who's in office, based on military issues, based on terrorism, based on every other thing, right? We do this. And it's not that we, sh- we shouldn't be wise about it. The Bible says be wise as serpents, gentle as does. It's not like we're being stupid and, oh, God's got it in control and I need to do nothing. Literally, that's not what I'm talking about. When we get to Ephesians 4, you're going to find out quick there's some stuff that we need to do, right? But my point is, if you really want peace, you're not going to get it without grace. Because you're going to think that any, it's, it's got to be you that brings the peace, right? I've got to stack up enough stuff. i got to have enough weapons. I've got to you know, take enough defense classes. I've got to live in the safest neighborhood you know, with the fences. That's really just a gate, and bad people walk around the gate. <laughs> but they, why do they do that? Because they know people and a gate moving open and closing that makes you feel safe. You're not safe, but it makes you feel safe. So I, feeling safe is better than not feeling safe. But that's the world's version of it. Jesus comes and says, there's nothing, no matter what in, the enemy can do to your body, no matter what can happen in the physical realm, the worst thing that can happen to you is you graduate. Right? So what happens if you don't make it? Quick statistic, 10 out of 10 of you guys are going to die. It's an absolute certainty, right? And why, why is it that the only time we think about that is funerals? I put it out of my head because I want peace. I want the absence of conflict. That's too much tension in my life, thinking about the unknown. Well, what happens when, when the unknown is known? Death is swallowed up in victory, right? No fear of death. Perfect love. Cast out fear. Perfect love is grace. When you get perfect love, you get peace. This is literally identity and where it comes from. It comes from grace. So we're going to jump into the second one. This is a, we're actually going to go, go into Ephesians 1, 3. Because I've got to wrap it up. I've, I barely got into Ephesians 3. Have you noticed that? It's really challenging. You guys have no idea the stuff I've left out. <laughs> so this is Ephesians 1, 3. This is where it begins, really go after. They say this is one of the most, uh, theologians say this is one of the most powerful, um, it's about 10 or 12 verses in here from Ephesians 3, and we're just going to touch the first one. They say it's some of the most powerful promises in Scripture. Listen to this, this is Ephesians 1.3. All praise to God. So identity first, right? Grace, understanding is from God, and then all praise to God is a reminder of this is not coming from you, this is coming from somewhere outside of you, Right? Somewhere above you. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Why? Because we are united with Christ. He has blessed us. Past tense, another grammar lesson. (laughs) You're welcome. Past tense, he has blessed us. He has, Peter says, given us everything we need for life and godliness. So why is it we stress so much? Because we forget, and we don't know who we are, and we don't when it when that stuff comes up, we don't remind ourselves again. 
how many times, I mean, because this has happened to me, so I know it's happened to you. You start stressing out, and then you ask for prayer, and somebody prays for you something you already know. Anybody ever had that happen? You're like, I know that. That wasn't new at all. <laughs> That's one of the blessings of having people around you, right? They're not caught up in your emotion, and they can pray a, a common sense prayer and bring, bring things to bear and get you righted, for lack of a better term. But what if you built up a strong spirit in you where you didn't need that to happen? Now, don't get me wrong, all of us are going to have moments, right? I don't care how mature you get. You're going to have moments where you need, you need everybody. It's the way God designed us to need one another. But what would it be if, all, if you're the father pouring out blessing to your kids instead of always being the kid receiving blessings from the father and from the mother? So this is what Paul's going after. So he's all praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ couple things about this. One, spiritual blessings are spiritual. That's super deep, right? <laughs> so what does that mean? That, mean that, that means that how you feel, the blessing that's on your life, cannot come from this temporary world. It can't. It's a spiritual thing. It's deeper. Uh, I, we talk about the supernatural all the time. Supernatural is not against nature. That's what a lot of people think science and, and God are, are you know, against each other. Karen mentioned this when we were talking about praying for healing. That somehow you know, we, we don't go to doctors because if, you know, God's going to heal us. Like, Listen, their knowledge about how the human body works, they didn't come up with that. right? They discovered it. It already existed. That truth, that imperative, or sorry, that indicative was already there. And they learn how to do it. It's like somebody mixed a plant and we're like, they gave it to somebody. It's like, oh, that killed them. Ooh, let's not give that plant to anybody else, right? And they mix another plant and they give it to them and they feel better. And like, oh, here's something I learned. That plant's not so, so good. This plant is so, so good. Let's mix it together. Now mix that, take it deeper, and now you've got chemicals and now you're making pills, right? And there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. Every bit of this comes from the Lord. Every bit of healing, like Karen said, comes from the Lord. The spiritual blessings, however, is this. What do you do as a... Um, one of the, uh, Lawrence was sharing, what do you do when you get to the doctor and the doctor says, man, there's, not, there's really not anything we can do. That's beyond us now. What do you do? Well, two things. One is, if you're a believer, you can be in peace. Why? Because what's the worst thing that can happen to you? Go to heaven, right? <laughs> Ooh, that's tough, right? Remember Paul? Paul makes this statement. He says, he says you know, I, I, I'm contemplating this journey that I'm on. And he goes, and I'm I, I feel like I could go to heaven, I could be with Jesus, and it'd be amazing. And then I'd struggle because I know you need me, and so I want to stay here. And then he says, I'm going to stay here because you guys need me. Be like, <laughs> what if he had just leaned the other wrong? He's like, bye, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm gone because <laughs> I'm tired of this. I mean, like, there's struggles, and I don't have to have them, and I can go be with Jesus. And wow, how amazing is that? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not looking to get out of here to, today, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I'm also not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of that. Because, why? Because there, at some point, this temporal is going to end anyway. For every single one of us. For some of us, one day, we're going to be alive when it happens. That's going to be pretty powerful. We, we preach that and use that scripture all the time in, in funerals. But outside of that, every one of us is going to pass through that moment, and we're going to come to know him. So we stand for healing, and I believe, as we grow up in this, I believe that part of the challenge of not seeing as much healing as we, we could is because as a people, I'm talking about the church in general, not just us in our local church, but the church in general is so full of unbelief that God has to work through it, not with faith, right? And so part of this is, you know, people, someone has to go first. 
And there have been people like, you know, um, movements that have gone after healing. I mean, most of you guys don't know this, but 100 years ago when the Pentecostal movement kicked off, that was also the beginning of the healing movement. We, nobody prayed for healing before that. Nobody. Because they didn't think it existed. They didn't think it was allowed. They thought that healing went away with the early church. And there was no, you couldn't ask for it. So it was just trust in Jesus. And if you died, you died. And you get to go be with him. So that's wonderful. But how, it, how awesome is it that we have discovered now that healing is also available to us here and now? And people say things like this. They hide behind this. And they say things like, well, you know, ultimate healing is going to be with Jesus. That's true, of course. I believe that. I live that way. But what about praying for one another now? What about the scriptures that said the elders should call, I mean, the people, if you're sick, should call for the the elders, anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith will lift them up. What about that? What about James saying, you know, Elijah was a man of like passions, just like you. In other words, he was just like you. You're not, he wasn't special because he was a prophet. And and he prayed and it quit raining. It, It stopped. And then he prayed again and it rained. So, so what God's saying is, hey, some of this has to do with let's stop making excuses and let's go after this in the kingdom. Now, maybe this takes um, most of our lives, and I'm okay with that. It's taken so far 30 years of my life to go after some of these things and understanding it personally, understanding some of the things we, that we know about grace. God has, it was always available. We'd lost it somehow as the church. Thank God someone went there first. And I know a few of those people who went there first got in all kinds of trouble, and the church beat them senseless because they, they, they started talking about this grace thing, and they were saying, oh, you're talking about greasy grace. You're going to just show, you're, people are just going to start sinning. And these people were like, people are already sinning. What if we actually went after this the way God intended it, with understanding our identity first? And that's what he's doing. So spiritual blessings are spiritual, right? So it starts with the inner man. And if we don't grow up in the inner man, then what happens is things that happen around us change our atmosphere rather than we who are supposed to be grounded in Christ, full of faith, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in my mortal body. It's supposed to be that I go somewhere and I change the atmosphere around me, right? So the difference between a a thermostat and a thermometer, one reads the temperature and says what it is. And that's what we do in our culture if we're not careful. We hear the world says there's no hope. There's no, you know, it's nothing good. There's no reason to be happy. There's no peace. You know, everything's, ah. And someone gets around me. I remember feeling this. The guy who led me to the Lord. I'm like, there's something wrong with this guy. He's not like normal people. And that was true. He was a new creation. And I, I'd, I'd never really met anybody like that. And when I saw him, I said, something's different about him. And I don't know what it is. You know why? Because it wasn't natural. It was a spiritual blessing. We have spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings are the very opposite of temporal. We talked about that a little bit. Spiritual blessings are superior to material blessings. They're the same nature as God. See, when you tap into spiritual things and spiritual blessings, you've, you've, you've taken a step up. This is nature, right? This is natural. And above that is supernatural. I've shared this many times. Seen, I've seen things in the Lord. I've seen things that have happened that are impossible to happen, right? And don't get me wrong. I mean, you're, if, you, if you want to find reasons not to believe, there are plenty of people who say, well, there's a, there's a, there is an answer for that. You know, people have been fooled. You know, magicians, they fool people all the time. Well, I get that, and I've been fooled by magicians, so I know there, there's some trick to it. But I've also seen things that there's no trick to. And some of you guys have seen the same thing. 
Well, how many of those things do you need to see before you finally believe it? At some point, you get enough evidence to go, this is true, right? The truth is, if you have one piece of evidence that tells you it's true, it's true. <laughs> you don't really need any more. But, but God keeps giving us more and more um, evidence. Spiritual blessings are found only in Christ. I mentioned this before. The Bible says, and we're going to get to this, that Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God, right? That he sits, Jesus sits on a throne, right? And, and that in this throne, every spiritual blessing, everything that belongs to heaven is his as, by right, is who Jesus is. And the Bible says if you are in Christ Jesus, that you also dwell in heavenly places. So what does that look like? And the answer is, it's a spiritual dwelling, right? Not a natural one. Because here's what we do. If we look around and we say, well, I feel good, then I must be good. I did good, therefore I must, I must be good. But none of those things are true. That is actually childish and immature thinking, right? Because the spiritual truth is above that, a spiritual blessing. The spiritual world is above the natural one. It's superior to that. So what does that look like? Let's give you a quick path to maturity as I wrap this up. God teaches us material things first. You do this with your kids. You want them to, you know, we see this in school. You want to understand at some point uh, calculus, you have to start with addition. I quit, I quit math when they started throwing letters in there because I felt like they were mixing English and math, and I'm like, I've had enough. I don't want any more of that, right? <laughs> some of you guys love math, and your calculus is easy for you. That's fine. But you didn't learn calculus first. You learned addition first. Right? It's something that builds on something else. And so God does this. He teaches us in the natural. So what are some of the things that he teaches us? Let me give you one. That a natural inheritance doesn't last. One of two ways. You can blow it, right? You can screw it up. You can spend all your money. You get a natural inheritance. You can spend it. You don't think you can, but, you know, you can spend a lot of money pretty quick. Or you die, and it goes to your kids if, or whoever. Maybe you leave it to your cats. I don't know. <laughs> but it's not yours anymore. The natural blessing is ended. But a spiritual blessing, when you get a spiritual blessing, doesn't end here. It's something that's even more powerful. And so, the, so natural, an earthly inheritance, and this is how God teaches us material blessings first. Earthly and material inheritance cannot bring peace and security. We talked about that. Man has within his inner being a basic selfishness and greed. This is what we see in the brokenness of the world. I build relationships out of selfishness. Not of what I can serve you and how I can bless you, but how you can bless me. And that works. Listen, there's this tension in a, in, a, in a world, let's say a worldly marriage. There's a tension. I'm going to give 50%, right? I'm going to give just enough to get what I want. That's how, unfortunately, that's how a lot of, of, of uh, Christian marriages work too. But I'm just going to give 50, I'm going to give enough to get what I want, right? So for guys, I'm going to give affection and love so I can have sex. <laughs> right? Maybe that's somebody else I'm talking to. It's not us. The woman says, or the wife says, I'll give sex so that I could get affection. Remember the Bible says, uh, what, do men, what do men need? They need respect. So women say, I'll give you enough respect. First you've got to earn it and deserve it. That's not grace, by the way. The Bible says give them respect whether they earn it or not. Now I'm messing around. I'm going to have to preach a whole other series on this. But, but what happens, the Bible says you give men respect. Why? Because that's what God designed them to, to thrive in, Right? But what, what about women? The Bible says that you should, you should, for your wife, you should love your wife, right? Why doesn't it say respect? Why doesn't it tell, God tell men to respect their wives? Because men do that naturally. Because that's, that's something that we have born inside of us. But we don't love naturally. It's not, our, it's not easy to do. 
So God teaches us and he shows us that. In the same way, with the opposite with that. So what, what am I getting at? That inside of us, if we begin relationships, if we try to do the things in the world with natural blessing only, then what we're doing is we're childish and immature. And what God's trying to do is he's trying to remind us, there's a natural that I'm going to teach you in, right? But eventually, I want you to move from natural thinking into supernatural thinking. I want you to move from natural, the natural world, and that's how your world is affected, and that's how things work, to moving now into a supernatural place where spiritual blessings are the most prevalent in your life. And from those spiritual blessings, now all of a sudden, they begin to affect the natural in ways you could never believe. You change the atmosphere. Karen and I do this all the time. We go to churches, and God opens the door for us to connect with a relationship with the church. We're always saying, Lord, what are you bringing? Because it's always mutual. What are you bringing into us? We're trying to learn to with these other leaders. Do you know what we always bring? Always bring grace. Always. I had somebody recently say, man, if you want to know about grace, ask Dave and Karen. I'm like, because we need it so much. Right? <laughs> But why? Because that, that's something that God brought me up into in a spiritual understanding that is not in the natural. But it's mine by inheritance, and because of that, anywhere I go that needs that, that spiritual blessing that is mine by inheritance, I can give away to other people, and they can have it as an inheritance too. So God is calling us to come up. Man, within his inner being, basic selfishness and greed, he must undergo a basic change of character to be free. In other words, you have to become a new creation. Grace, right, then peace, and then this is what God expects of us. I'm just going to read some scriptures as we close. God expects us to mature. He's like, you've been a child for a while. It's good. Nothing wrong with being a child when you're a child. But at some point, it's time for you to move on. So let me read this and close with this. 1 Corinthians 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, Mere infants in Christ. See that? The spiritual blessing, understanding. This is what Ephesians is going to do. It's going to talk to you about spiritual blessings. If you can mature in your spirit, then what happens around you does, won't matter. It won't matter. People can come and go, oh, you know, this, this horrible thing happened. You should be very de- de- you know, depressed and discouraged. No, thank you. Because that's, that's not true, right? I know that. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it, Right? What, what if God's saying to us, you're ready for it now? You, you've had spiritual milk. That's part of what grace is, is, is the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of God. God. Oh, man, we need that because there's something more. He said, you're still worldly, for since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are, not, are you not worldly? Jeal- shouldn't there always be jealousy and quarreling among us? Apparently not. Apparently, Jesus is saying, you can have a church without jealousy and quarreling. Oh! <gasps> You can have a church without gossip. <gasps> I know, so surprising, right? 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. Hear that imperative? That's not, a, that's not a nice thing to say. Stop it. That's what he's saying. This is a father to his kids. Stop, or I will come back there in the back seat and beat all of you, right? And it's worse, he'll pull over. That way he can use all his body to beat us, right? That was what my dad... <laughs> brothers and sisters stop thinking like children in regard to evil be infants in other words don't don't go there right be be tender in in in, in terms of right and wrong but in your thinking be adults grow up in your thinking right let your mind be transformed and come into spiritual blessings this is what he's trying to teach us in, in ephesians first peter therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit rid yourselves 
That's an imperative. That sounds like an Old Testament command, doesn't it? Rid yourselves. Why? Because Jesus has done this. Because there are spiritual blessings. Because there's an inheritance available to you. You can rid yourself. Can, Can I just pause for a second and say, will you stop saying, God, do this for me? Stop it. I know it sounds spiritual. It's not. It's childish. Lord, if you, Lord, help me. There's nothing wrong with those prayers, but they're childish prayers. At some point, go pray this prayer. Lord, I know that you've given me everything that I need. What's going on here and what do I need to do? What are you saying and how do I obey you into it? Because if you're saying it, it's true. That's the indicative. And if it's the imperative is whatever you say, that's what, what's going to bring the solution. So I don't, I'm not praying. People say, well, you know, I understand you probably need to pray about that. Like, no, I don't. Don't get me wrong, there's some things I will because I'm not clear. There's nothing wrong with it. But how often do we use that as an excuse for just not knowing what we ought to do in being adults? I know it's tough, right? Rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Stop talking about each other in ways you shouldn't do that, right? Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. In other words, there's a place where spiritual immaturity is okay because you're all in the nursery, but it's time to grow up. 1 Corinthians 2, 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Hear what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, like, there are certain groups of people, certain churches I can talk to where I can say mature things, but to others I can't. Listen to what he says. I speak a message, a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. In other words, what's going on in the world, in natural thinking, that's not the wisdom of heaven. It's different. It's just different. And at some point, you've got you to just begin to do it. Listen to Hebrews 5.11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. I've mentioned this before. If you really want to see something happened in your life where you find wholeness. Let me just be super honest right here because I've, I've been doing this in 30 years and I've done it myself wrongly and then I've tried to do it right. This is what I've seen. You have something going on in your life and someone with some wisdom, with some mature thinking, a father or mother comes to you and says, you should probably maybe not be in that relationship. This way, oh, say, can you see? Cover our ears and... Sing a patriotic song, right? Why? I don't want to hear it. Well, let me ask you, how long, how long do you do that before wise people stop talking to you? Right? Then how do you learn? Consequences come. And then this is what immature, because you notice this with kids, this is what immature people do. Well, God just isn't good. Why? Because you were a knothead and you kept doing something you knew you shouldn't be doing and somebody tried to tell you you did it anyway and consequences hit you and now it's God's fault? Quit whining. I should have saved this part for next week, shouldn't I? It's too much. (laughs) In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers. Hear the word ought to be. This is what should be the case because of what Jesus has done in you. This is what should be the case. By now you ought to be teachers You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And then listen to 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm done. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So here's the thing. 
as we go into Ephesians and get into chapter 4, I'm going to keep coming back to this because I'm going to remind you that it's going to get tough when we get to Ephesians 4, okay? <laughs> Some of you guys are like, pretty tough right now, Dave, reading those last scriptures. I know, but wait for it, <laughs> right? It's coming. But why is that? Because this is meat, right? So the call on us as a church, the call on you, there's been so many reminders about remember what I've said to you as a son. Remember what I've said about you and who you are and my calling on your life because I have something for you to do. It's powerful and every one of us sense that and feel it, right? It is not going to happen by accident. Listen to me. It's not going to happen by osmosis. Because you hang around mature people doesn't make you mature. Because you go to church and you hear a message doesn't make you mature. Because you know what's true doesn't make you mature. You have to do something. Listen to what it says. When I became a man, I put away childish things. No one can do this for you. No one can. If you are tired of the crap in your life, and you're tired of the devil beating the living daylights out of you on a regular basis, and you say, please, sir, may I have some more? Right? If you're sick of that, then you put the childish stuff away. It's time for you to do that. And when you do, what's going to happen is your, whatever that, that level, that ceiling that you've been bumping up against, and many of us for years, I know it took, there's some things that took me years, I bumped up against that ceiling until finally I made a decision and said, I'm done. My wife has this incredible word of wisdom sometimes to people. She's like, when you are sick of the yoke, you will throw it off. Stop asking, God, will you please take this yoke off of me? God's like, I did. I've done everything, everything you have need of. I've given you every spiritual blessing, everything you need of. Arise, son of my people. <laughs> right? It's time for you to throw off the junk. Time for you to throw off the childish stuff and become a man. What do you get in return? This is the beauty. Every inheritance that Jesus paid such a powerful price for is already yours. You don't have to do anything to earn it except become fully mature and be able to receive it. Right? Why don't you stand with me? <laughs> I'm sorry I went over. It's what mature people do. They go 10 minutes over in a sermon. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, let me leave you with this because it's something for you to do. God told um, the people of Israel, he said, I've, I've given you a promised land. It's a past tense thing. I've given it to you, right? He told Joshua, every place on which your foot told tread, I've given it to you. Not I will give it to you, I have. I've already done it, right? And then he tells the people of Israel, he says, okay, um, the promised land's on the other side of that river. Now I want you to cross over the Jordan. You do it. So they come to the river. It's in flood stage. It's raging. You ever been there? <laughs> and they're like, God, stop the river. God's like, put your foot in. God, stop the river. Put your foot in. God, you do it. God's saying, no, you do it. <laughs> I'll stop the river when you put your foot in. There's something, there's a place of faith. Because this is what the Bible says, that the only way you please God is by faith. It's not talking about God loves you or don't love you. That's what I was talking about. It's talking about walking fully in the inheritance of God. That some level of faith is, 
I, I know I'm supposed to do something about this. What's the Lord saying to me and how do I obey him? If it's a relationship, listen, if it's a relationship you need to cut off, go talk to that person and say, hey, listen, you don't have to freak them out or be weird about it. Just say, you know what, I think this is an unhealthy relationship and it needs to change or I'm, I'm not going to be able to keep doing what we're doing. How hard is that? Right? Maybe it's a relationship you need to start. Maybe it's something that you need to do. Maybe God's saying, hey, I want you to go back to school. And you're like, but God, do you not see the river and it's flooding? And God's like, do you not see how big I am and I made the river? Right? So here's the thing. Because you don't know what's going to happen, that, that means you're not trusting that God does. And maybe you miss it. You're going to miss it as you grow into maturity. I've missed it so many times, and I'm going to miss it again because I'm going to keep taking steps of faith, and I think it's time that you do as well. Many of you, you've already done it, and you're seeing it. Whatever that is, as I pray, would you make a decision this week to go, this week, whatever that river looks like, whatever it is that I need to cross over to get to that promised land, my inheritance, I'm done, and I'm, going to, I'm putting my foot in it this week. <laughs> we'll preach a whole sermon series called Put Your Foot in It. <laughs> God, help us all. Lord, we just we say thank you for your kindness. Thank you for these words, Lord, um, that are encouraging, Lord. We, it's frightening because it's new places for all of us, Lord. All of us are growing into places of maturity. But, Lord, your kindness is you love us and you want us to know that nothing we'll ever do is going to cause us to not be loved by our Heavenly Father. You are amazing for that. So, Lord, but you're calling us to greater things. Lord, you're calling us to, to take that step of faith. And so, Lord, we... We want courage to do that, Lord. Help us, whatever that looks like. I know that's tough, Lord, but, but God, that I would just make the decision. This would be the time that I would put my foot in that river and see it back up and stop raging and walk into every inheritance you have for me. Jesus, we love you and say thank you for that. In your name, amen. If you need prayer this morning, um, our team's here. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful week. Your vocals. Thanks, <coughs>